Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, licensed speech and language pathologist, homeschooling mom of two, wife of one, excited podcaster, ready to take on another episode, another week, another day with you. I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode where we talked about when to get a second opinion. And I know I came out all fiery, but I hope you guys walked away with some really good information, got tooled up. Now it's figuring out, do I need to get a second opinion or not? Right? Right? All right. Well, we'll move on. We'll, we'll, we won't touch that subject. How about that, y'all? Today, we're going to jump right into things because guess what? We have a special guest and I can't wait for you guys to hear from our special guest. Kimberly Wright Graves is an amazing woman. She has been a principal in LA Unified School District for years and years and years and years. She has wonderful experience and wonderful information to share with us. And I cannot wait because today we are going to be talking about advocacy. Who's going to speak out for me on my behalf, on my sugar's behalf? How do I advocate? How do I deal with this? And so I thought that it would be so important to get somebody from the inside to give us some perspective and give us some tools to get us navigating these systems and understanding these systems and just helping us along the way. And let me tell you, world changers, advocacy, when I used to think of that word, (laughs) got such a bad rap. I used to think about like this staunch room of people who are like gritting their teeth and, and, and just like going at things totally like arena style cagey, just oh, going at it mm, to get their agenda pushed. But I don't really think about it that way because you know why, y'all? I know a little bit more. I've seen a bit more. I've learned a bit more. And I'm going to share that with you guys today. And so I'm going to pull out the old dictionary. Merriam-Webster has been a friend to me since I was a wee little lad. I still rely on him because sometimes I feel like he does a better job explaining stuff than I do. I'm just saying and I'm not a plagiarist. So (laughs) Merriam-Webster's definition of advocacy is the act or process of supporting a cause or a proposal. Mm. The act or process of supporting a cause or a proposal. So that simply means in our case, we're trying to support the cause of getting our sugar, the needs, their needs met, getting the stuff that they need, making sure that When we're going into these IEPs, when we're having these IFSP meetings, all of these fancy meetings, whether we're meeting with pediatricians, whoever we're meeting with, we feel comfortable, A, advocating on our sugar's behalf, which means simply pushing their agenda, and B, making sure that they're getting what they need. And in the world of speech and language pathology, we use advocacy mainly to support our sugar's needs. I teach parents, (coughs) world changers, that's you. To use advocacy as a tool to get sugar's needs met across settings. Because it makes no sense for sugar to be learning one thing in one place and not applying it across the board, especially if it's functional to their performance and important to their their performance, right? Across different places. Like I don't want to see them behaving one way or doing one thing in one place and then not applying it at all in other places. And so that's how I typically use advocacy. However, advocacy could also be used in schools for services specifically. If your sugar needs a specific service, if your sugar has a specific need, then this is when advocacy becomes really important because you as the world changer are the one who's going to speak on your sugar's behalf. When seeking additional therapies, sometimes the frequency is not quite enough, right? Maybe they need a little bit more. Maybe they need a little bit more of one therapy and a little bit less of another therapy. Or maybe they need the same kind of therapy, but a different style of therapy. This is when advocacy comes in, being able to communicate that to the team around you. Classroom modifications. This happens a lot. And this doesn't just mean our school agers. This can happen with our wee little ones who are in daycares and preschools. Like if they don't do a great job sitting down during circle time, we can help with that. 
if they don't do a great job following classroom routines and directions, and it's something that's the same every single day, guess what? We can help learn how to advocate for their needs to make things work for them to reinforce the behavior that we want to see at home, at school, in the community, right? Service delivery models. This kind of goes back into the additional therapies world, right? If the the way that therapy is being modeled or the, the delivery of that type of therapy is not quite a fit or you know of a better fit for your sugar, then that's when you definitely want to think about advocating on your sugar's behalf. And finally, for additional testing. Additional testing can happen in so many ways, shapes, forms, fashions, reasons, second opinions, third opinions, getting an additional diagnosis, taking away a diagnosis. Like there's all kinds of reasons additional testing could take place. And sometimes even getting to the root of why things are happening the way that they're happening. And so we can advocate on our sugar's behalf to get additional testing done to figure out what we need to figure out. But until we understand how to work through that process, then it it honestly is and can be a little bit overwhelming. And I understand that some world changers may not completely always understand the process or even most importantly, where do I even start, right? It's a lot. However, that's where professional advocates come into place. And they're wonderful people who can help world changers negotiate their sugar's needs. So to help us along in this conversation, I interviewed my friend, Kimberly Wrights Graves, who's going to help bring some light to this subject. Let's listen in, world changers. All right, world changers, I am so excited. I told you guys we were going to have a guest today. I want to introduce my friend, my pal, my buddy of 20 years, Kimberly Wrights Graves. Welcome, Kimmy. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, One, I'm so proud of you and your podcast, your profession. Um, This is going to be an incredible session because it's going to be full of valuable information. And I would love to share, you know, what I know from a professional, but also on a personal level today. Absolutely. Kimmy, you've got to tell the people a little bit about yourself, though. (laughs) All right. My name is Kimberly Wright Graves. I am a principal. Um, of 11 years, I have a great school, Sienega Elementary School in the Los Ooh. Angeles Unified School District. I've been an educator for the past 26 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so being in the classroom as a classroom teacher, being a national uh, consultant for Success for All, which is a, a school reform organization. <laughs> and I, literacy is really my background. But once I moved into administration, I was, as an AP, I was over special education. So all I did were the IEPs and I would have between, I don't know, 200 to 300 IEPs a year with all of the amendments and so forth. And so it would be a great need. And so special education is near and dear to my heart. And then even as a principal, just making sure our boys and girls get what they need and always feeling though they are a part, an equal part of our school. It is not, you know, special ed and then the gifted, the dual language, and then the community school, but we are a Sienica family. We hold that as our motto. We live that, we breathe that. And so that's why I'm excited about today because it's one of my passions. And I just want parents to know that your services, your children's services, that is your right. Yes. That is not, that is not, you know, a courtesy. This is your right. And so today we're going to talk about how you can advocate for your child, how you can go and get professional advocates, but we're going to talk about what your children are due and what they are Oh, yes. Now y'all see why I got her here. Isn't she amazing? Y'all, look, she took over, y'all. <laughs> so, Kimmy, I know that you've had not just professional experience, but personal experience dealing with advocacy. Tell us about that. Tell us about your firsthand experience, because a lot of 
world changers are like, well, she's coming from the perspective of an AP. And for you guys out there, AP is assistant principal. So look, y'all in on the lingo now. <laughs> but she has personal experience as well as professional experience, which, which ultimately means she's been on both sides of the table. So she can relate to your experience and speak from professionally what should happen. Take it over, Kimmy. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I keep forgetting, you know, education, we have so many acronyms. So please <laughs> stop me once I start throwing out talking about an IEP, which is an individualized education plan. Yeah. Um, yes, I did have an experience. So my nephew who's in Texas, I'm in California. At the age of four, he's currently um, 14, about to turn 15. But at the age of four, we, well, actually, sooner than that, we noticed that he was not accessing the curriculum like his other peers were, that he, his behaviors were different than others, going underneath the table and so forth. So my sister and I, his mother, just thought, you know, hey, you know, um, he may be autistic. And so one time when I was down in Texas, I went to the school to go pick him up. I'm very excited and encountered the resource teacher there. Mm -hmm. And so she was giving me an assessment plan for his mother to sign. I was ecstatic. I was what? ecstatic, ecstatic, ecstatic because it's like, yes, at the age of four, they noticed this. Okay. It's like okay. we're going to do this early on and we were not opposed to it because we've already had that discussion. Right. But where it hit me by being on the other side of the table and parents, I bow down to you because that was the first time that I ever felt your emotions right. of giving over your child's life to someone else and mm -hmm. having to trust them and not know them all at the same time. Mm -hmm. I was able, because I did have a background in special ed, I was able to spend eight, yes, eight hours with the school psychologist mm -hmm. just talking about the needs and the protocols, meaning the tests or the assessments that yeah. they were going to administer to my nephew. Right. But it was also the same day I went home and cried because I felt as though I didn't have the control. Being a leader of a school, being a leader of even the IEP process, I've always had that control. But now it was totally out of my hands. I was in a whole different state, but I still wanted to know what were the assessments that were going to be given to my nephew. And again, I said he was four. So it wasn't like, I know that they couldn't use the same assessments that they would give, you know, an older child or anything right. like that. So that, that was the, the beginning of it. Fast forward to, in Texas, they call them ARD. I don't remember that acronym, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same. It is an IEP, but it's leading up to the IEP. And I was very blessed. And we talk about advocacy. I was very blessed and fortunate to have a full on staff for special ed, like a full time school psychologist. Right. A full time speech and language pathologist, a full time resource teacher. So I had my team in the office during the ARD, which I was still a part of through a conference call. I knew that it was my right, uh, my sister's right, my nephew's right to yeah. get the school's reports four days sooner than the IEP or, you know, four days before the IEP. A lot of people don't know that there's, you know, it's their right. And then we went through it. Right. We highlighted, we had our questions ready right. because again, this was my nephew's life. And what I didn't want them to do was to put him in a special day class. So it was a lot. It, it, it was a full day. Yes, there were a lot of questions. A full day's IEP or ARD meeting, but it got to the point where the principal was just like, you know what, Miss Wright, uh, would you like to write his IEP? <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I was just in heaven. I was like, are you serious? Actually. And so um, 
fast forward, my nephew also had like, you know, most kids with autism had a psychiatrist because, you know, dealing with social skills and things of that nature, um, making sure that he understood, had professional help to to navigate him through life. And he has never seen an IEP written like that. Mm-hmm. And but again, doing my homework, I called all the way up to the Texas Education uh, Agency because, again, it's a different state. I wanted to know the ins and the outs of what I could do, what I couldn't do. Right. You know, what was the school's responsibility before heading into the meeting? Because I didn't want to be blindsided. I didn't want them to think that they were talking to somebody who didn't know, but, you know, a very well-informed, very well-informed relative. So, and by my, my, and I'm just going to put it out there, you know, my um, nephew is an African-American male and I just wanted to make sure he was going to get the best and, you know, services he could because it was his right. Right. I, I just commend you so much for sharing that story because there's so many layers that happen with that. And we're talking about advocacy, right? And the rights and what's within our right as the parent. And because I work with early intervention and that's like my subspecialty. So a lot of times I'm super connected with the families because not only is it the relationship with the child, but it's also the relationship with the with the parent. And if I don't have like that trust and, and morale and like that collaboration, then it's difficult to like sow into them to give them what they need when they're making that shift over. And so I want to talk about the the control piece, the the feeling of when you said I had to give up control of a situation. And it's two part, it's twofold for world changers out there because it's the control of I know that this is beyond my capacity to be able to like help my child in this way, help them thrive in this way. Because think about it prior to, for most parents who are making that transition for their their children to be with them to the school, usually parents adapt to their child's behavior. But when little sugar is gone and in the school and they're fending for themselves, guess who's not there to figure out what their nuances is, to pick up on those nonverbals to know that this is a trigger for them. And so the relinquishing of that control, it is like a twofold thing because now it's in the hands of the professional to be able to, in a sense, either do some form of what you were doing at home or challenging what you were doing at home to do something different, to get a different behavior out of them, right? To get a different outcome. How do we keep sugar from under the table? Well probably wasn't going under the table too much at home because mom and dad had the the tools to deal, right? But it's different when they're in a different setting. And so this is where it's so important. And I talk about this with you, you guys out there that the collaboration piece is so key because being able to communicate and collaborate on that scale, collaborate those uncomfortable feelings for one those things that you've been seeing go on all along and it's not always comfortable, right? And two, trusting that when you give this intimate information that the professionals who are around you are going to take that and honor it and not, you know, judge you in a corner, but really provide tools and structure to help not just little sugar, but you as well. And most importantly, once the IEP, the Individualized Educational Plan is created, that is being carried out in a way that's beneficial for sugar, but at the same time, in some way, form or fashion, you're also learning skills and techniques and things that you can carry over within the home. And so I want to, I want to know, how did it go? Like after the, after the IEP meeting, right? How did things go? How did services play out within the school? Well, during the initial art or the initial IEP, one thing that came out of that, that I'll be honest, were the sensory issues that I didn't um, necessarily anticipate. 
Right. So he had to have another assessment just for the um, the sensory issues there. So that was through the, I want to say it was the um, occupational therapy. Occupational therapy. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. One thing that she did not do, and, and it was just me just knowing the process, right. she did not survey my my sister. She didn't call the parent. She didn't have an interview with her or anything else. She just basically did a half job and and just said no. My thing was I did not if he didn't need the services that's fine. But give him the due diligence yeah. of being a professional and going giving him the whole battery, right? So that was something I had to call to the carpet at the actual meeting. Right. And so I wanted to know people always look towards the who, the principal, whether mm-hmm. they did it or not, you mm-hmm. know, it's the principal. You better have, you know, your meetings and so forth because I wanted to know. So I, I asked, is this common? Is this the common practice of the school that you do not interview or you don't survey the parent right. to even ask? you know, certain types of questions right? before writing your report. Because that's taking the parent's voice away and taking exactly. their right to advocate on their child's behalf. And not only that, what they're experiencing and how that compares to what little sugar is experiencing in the classroom. That's all I'm saying. Right. And if we're talking about advocacy, my sister wouldn't have known about that had I not been in that meeting. Hmm. My sister would have just rolled with okay, I understand. And that's it. Right. But so they have to redo again. This is more time being taken out more, you know, it's more money because you, you're wasting an expensive protocol or a test. Right. So of course, he did not qualify. However, it was the whole point of doing due diligence and giving him his right of of doing the the battery as it should be done, Absolutely. you know, being being integral to the process, right. so and reliable. Exactly, exactly, exactly and reliable. So, how did it play out? I'm not saying this process was easy, but we ended up holding him back in the second grade because he he had some difficulties with reading. Right. But he, in terms of speech and language, OMG, I mean, <laughs> he can write, he can speak so eloquently, but he will fool you. He was sounding out sight words. I mean, sound by sound, but holding him back, changing his school because, again, they weren't meeting his needs mm-hmm. right now, today. My nephew is an honor student making huh. all A's. Mm-hmm. He's taking, um, he's in the eighth grade. So he's taking pre-AP classes because he's in middle school yeah. and um, can read, can write like no one. I mean, he's writing on a 10th grade level. Right. So it was all about the initial things that we had to do to set up and also setting a precedence and a tone for this, you know, for him, mm-hmm. for his IEPs, for his art, so that people know, hey, he has advocates. He, he has um, an aunt. He has his mother. He has, you know, outside uh, resources wow. such as Kuman and other things that we were doing so that they would not just give him half of a battery or not give him all the resources that he needs? Or what if they would have put him in a special day class just because of the way that he was behaving and so forth? He will never be that honored student um, as we speak today. He would never be, hopefully, in that magnet program that we're trying to get him in for high school. Right. So it's all about how we set our kids up in the very beginning. So I thank you, um, Sharina, for what you're doing for those boys and girls before they reach the age of three and get to 
their neighborhood school or to their local, you know, public school, public school district? Absolutely. You know, a, a few questions came up in my mind while you were talking about your nephew. And it's like, he is so lucky to have you guys. Like he doesn't even know. He'll know like 30 years from now. But I have a question. And this is like from the principal's hat, right? So now you get to switch hats. And you can, you know, play on both. How do parents know when a school is not meeting their sugar's needs? And how do you, as the principal, like help them along through that process to say, hey, you know, this is what we provide, but X. And how do you meet that? How do you, how do you create that line, that fine line? Because with nephew, he had to get moved. And this is not uncommon where sugar will have to get moved. But how do you how do you deal with that piece? Well, first of all, by providing a warm and, invi and inviting um, environment, being honest with the parent, giving them their rights ahead of time, uh, meaning their booklets, what have you, have something in black and white so a parent can follow along. It could be the IEP process in you. Um, really walking them through that document, what their rights are, because let's face it, there are things at the school site that we are not authorized to give, such mm -hmm. as non-public services, non-public school, non-public agency, because it is costly. And we have to make sure that we at the school site have done due diligence to provide the services that we you know, have here at the school, not all schools have the same services. Right. It's up to the district. That's when an IEP will pause, um, mm -hmm. literally pause. And then we would request what the parent is asking for. Sometimes it is not given, it is not granted. And then that's when a parent has to go either due process. Due process is when you're not suing, but you're kind of suing the district for um, whatever the services you're trying to get. Let's just say, for instance, Sharina, you are a non-public agency, meaning right. that you are not a part of the school district that is offering the service of speech and language. So we will have to send you out. You have to be a vendor with the school. A family will then be offered three different organizations or agencies that they will go to. They will go interview those agencies. Agencies will interview the family, make sure it's a good fit. Mm -hmm. Parent will make the choice. And then we go from there. Parents, this is a good time for you to have an actual advocate or mm -hmm. attorney. Oh, you were thinking what I was thinking. I was like, when does the advocate come into place? You already knew. So now we yeah. see world changes. Keep up with us now, right? Because I know we're throwing out a lot. So first we're talking about advocating for your sugar initially. Now we're talking about when to utilize the advocate when working with the school. Now this is hiring somebody outside of your household, unless you have someone in your household, like a Kimmy here, who can make sure this stuff's happening. You hit the nail in the head. Go ahead, hit it. And the reason why I say this is because there is a certain way you have to ask for these services. And then let's face it, if you walk into a courtroom and it's just you against a, a huge organization <laughs> who have their own legal team, um, you know, you're going to be treated a different way as opposed if you were to come in with your own advocate or with your own attorney. Now it's legal against legal. Right. So that's why I say this is the best time. If you if you don't ever use an advocate or an attorney, this is the best time to use it so that, again, your son or daughter will get the services he or she has a right to. Right. And then your district is paying for those services. You're not paying for those services. Mm -hmm. It will be the school district that will pay for those services. So that is when, you know, a, a district or a school at a local level cannot, they don't have the authorization to do these things to say, hey, district, uh, this is how I'm telling you you're going to spend your money. That is not the way it works. Right. Another, so that's due process. That's one of the more extreme cases. 
but you also have what's called informal um, dispute resolution where you don't agree and, and you can disagree to only a part of your IEP. So if there are parts that you agree with, you sign off so the you know your child can get those services. If there are multiple things that are services that you are requesting or that they need, such as they may need a resource, meaning they need extra help in reading, um, writing, math, whatever that may be, speech, you right. know, but you are requesting that you want to use additional services, maybe, you know, again, a non-public agency like Sharina. So you can go in informal dispute resolution or you're still trying to work it out at the school site. Again, this is a good time to have an attorney or an advocate. So even if you, and then the most extreme is when you go all the way up to the state level. So all of this is explained when you get your literature, but ask the school side to explain it to you. That's what I was going to get at because a lot of those booklets, and I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, that's okay. I always ask, you know, families, are you reading that? And I know it's a thick booklet. Like I know it's ridiculous, but at the same time, you have to keep in mind that this is your sugar's rights. Like this right. is your sugar's needs. Like if you're going to read any book in this world, right, <laughs> then that's the one you need exactly. to read. That's exactly. to highlight and understand. And it's not to be defensive. Again, it's, it's a way to figure out how do I collaborate right. and give one accord with this agency who's providing my sugar services. Mm -hmm. And not just going along with, okay, well, they're the school. They know more than I do. No, you have something to contribute to that. You should contribute something to that. Right. Again, advocacy and collaboration, those two go hand in hand. And if you're collaborating with those professionals, then that's your way as a parent of voicing and advocating realistically, realistically, what your sugar's needs are. Right. And so I, I want you world changers out there to not get overwhelmed or intimidated by this process because it's such an important process. And if you don't understand the literature, again, either having someone at the school or someone else who is privy to this education, this information, who can walk you through it that you know and you trust. Right. Another thing, too, is you get to the um, the end of the IEP. And now it's time to sign. Right. You do not have to sign. You can sign that you attended, but you do not have to sign to say you agree with that IEP or not. You, you can take your time, go through it, read it to see if there are any changes that you would like, whether it is, you know, you know, I would like additional time, mm -hmm. meaning it's more than two days a week for 30 minutes. You can, you know, you need to, if you need to adjust, ask for that. You know, whatever your gut is telling you, you can ask. Now, they may not give it at the local school site. So then you can, again, you know, go informal dispute resolution or you can, you know, take it to due process. It's okay. It's okay. It really is. It will be, if, you, if it's an initial IEP, your child will not get the services right then and there, but, if it, but it's okay. Wait time is okay. Mm -hmm. And then if it is, let's just say an annual or triennial or something, but there's already an IEP in place, everything will be in a stay put status, meaning that the services will continue, but we're still going to, you know, do the process of seeing if we can get, let's just say Johnny or Susie, the services that the parent is requesting. So don't ever feel as though, oh, I got to rush to do this. You do not. You may feel rushed at the time, but you do not have to rush. Go in knowing, you know, what you're going to do. If it's a two-parent household, if there are two parents involved, you two need to be on the same page because I've had many parents come into an IP and they are arguing because one wants something, the other person doesn't, you know, even in the situation changing gears of my nephew, dad wasn't on board because he was still in denial about his son having autism. 
Right. Um, and we get a lot of that, you know, where one parent may not think that the child needs services. But again, if the longer you wait, the wider that gap is going to be. The educational gap is going to widen. So you always need to think about the child in the very end. And please remember, this is not a courtesy. This is your right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just, I want to hit on something because I have talked a lot about parents and I actually, even in clinic, like I will talk to parents in a heartbeat about being on the same page or giving specific homework Mm -hmm. for them to get. Like, it's time for us to have a discussion this week. And then you come back to me (laughs) next week and we'll talk about it, right? Because it's so important, especially again, I always try to lay that foundation for families when the the little one still smells like cookies before they're bit, you know, they're still little and cute and, and mm-hmm. all still new and stuff hasn't set in. And so I always try to remind parents and I even wrote about it, about diagnosis and it not being your fault and how two parents can, you know, get on the same page, a united front. There's a podcast about it. There's an episode about it. Catch it if you haven't already. Um, But there's also a blog about it because it is so important for you guys to be on the same page advocating for the same cause. Because if you guys aren't on one accord, then how are you going to collaborate with the school district and and then collectively advocate for your sugar's needs? And so it is crucial that everybody's on the same page or at least acknowledging that even if you don't agree with the diagnosis, we still can recognize that these gaps or these behaviors or whatever is taking place is present and that yes, something needs to be done about it. So I always ask parents at the end of the day, if I took the diagnosis away, if I took the label away, are the behaviors still there? If the behaviors are still there, then we know that something needs to be resolved. And so at the bare minimum, we can agree on that. And let's at least start there so we can make progress because I hate not making progress. Like we push for progress because again, we don't want the gap to become start like this and then end up like this. And it doesn't take long for the gap to end up like this. And then all of a sudden, little sugar can't even catch up anymore because time. But the the longer and the larger that gap widens, then that's when they want to a school will begin to start start to discuss with the parents a special day class. Mm-hmm. Whereas we didn't have to be at that point had mm-hmm. we done an earlier intervention. Right. Agreed. Agreed. So I want to I want to pivot a little bit, and I want to talk about. IEP is done. Services for little Susie, Susie and Johnny. Susie and Johnny getting their services now. <laughs> and the IEP is written. Everybody, all the professionals are carrying out the IEP plan to a T. It ain't working. What do world changers do? They will then put in writing a request for another IEP and state the reason why. Let me just tell you, there is no such thing as an emergency IEP, okay? So don't don't say, I want an emergency IEP. There's no such thing. Don't let anybody tell you that there's that thing. Um, There isn't. So you can request another IEP. Make sure you put it in writing. And I say that because you will then be owed a response in writing within 15 days, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I'm going to say 15 to 30 days, okay? I believe it's 15 days. So then you're going to get a response in writing. You may not agree with that. So guess what? Informal dispute resolution or due process, or you can take it to state mediation. So again, those rights never go away. but let me just say this. IEP plan has been written just like what Sharina said. It's over. Don't ask for that meeting, please, within six months. And I say that because it's going to take a, you know, a little bit of time. One, 
for your son or daughter to get used to the process. They need to repeat the practice. They need making sure that everything is being done and it's followed. You've had that communication with the teacher, with the service providers, with, you know, even if you have to talk to the assistant principal or the principal, whomever that may be, but have adequate amount of communication, adequate amount of time that's being given to service your child. Now, if it's still not working, then yes, I would say, you know, we've given it this amount of time. We started here because I'm going to tell you the school has data, a lot of data, meaning that there's a um, there is going to be a pre-assessment to give a baseline of where your child was. There will be some progress monitoring that's going on. That means from one assessment to the next. How your sugar is doing between that time and layman's time. How your sugar is doing at the start and after some intervention. Yes. So be very specific about what that means. They're not learning. What what does that mean? You need to quantify that and you need to qualify that. Right. So, And then when do you take into consideration like cognition? And how for the world changers who don't understand like, okay, my sugar has more of a moderate, severe cognitive issue going on and we have these goals, but they're not meeting these goals. How do they then, how do we know then that it's time to like pivot and try something else? Or how do they know that, you know, they're on track for doing uh, or, or attaining the goal? I'll be honest, it's the school that usually will identify that sooner than the parent. The parent wants to take it, especially if you're talking about a moderate to severe situation. Um, You know, you start with the child and maybe they're three and they're in some PAL program. Um, And and, but they're still nonverbal or borderline nonverbal, which is going to take you more to a moderate to severe autistic class and and a parent usually want to be well you know can we start in something that's the least restrictive whereas the school just sees so far down the road because this is what we do but usually it's the school that will see that so I'm going to say to the world changers out there I know it's your child and this is what I'm talking about releasing control is you have control over your child and you want your child to be you know, like their peers in every sense of the word. However, they may need more resources and they may need a more restricted environment. Just come with an open mind and hear, and it's hard, um, even if you have to bring someone. And sometimes you may want to ask, you know, your sister, your best friend, your mother to give you their honest truth. about your child so that if you hear it before you go into another setting, then you may be more, you know, willing and also more open to hear what they're saying. Right. That's key. Um, Coming to terms with it because it's not easy information. It's not easy at all. But like I always tell you guys, that's your sugar at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And they still have a purpose. They're still meant to do something here on this earth. And it's so key and crucial. Even if it is a moderate or severe diagnosis, there's still something special about them. There's still something that they can and will contribute to this earth. And so, you know, don't get so hung up in in labels or progress, but, you know, not progress in the sense of, are they meeting? We're always pushing to something, but don't look at their process and their progress as compared to somebody else's, as compared to what you see other sugars doing. Because bear in mind, in a lot of cases, they have to work 20 times harder to do that one thing that just came naturally and easier to others. That in and of itself deserves a celebration. And so we need to recognize those things because when we stay motivated, when we continue to challenge them, when we continue to find ways to keep it fresh and challenge them and give them stuff that's attainable, then you master one thing, then you master another thing. 
And then you master another thing and it's realistic. And that's true advocacy. And that's truly like seeing your little sugar for who they are. And by you giving them that validation, they're going to try a little bit harder, no matter what it is. I don't care if it's something as simple as taking the spoon and getting it to their mouth or making that first utterance and puckering those lips, like whatever it is, that's progress. And so we need to see that. I'm sorry, I have to give that one. I know the world changers cannot see my virtual background, but I have Amanda Gorman up here. And Amanda has been out there prior to the inauguration. She she has told her story in terms of her speech impediment. You know, she really had to work hard with her speech and language pathologist. She had to do her own, you know, working with the R's and, and you know. That's re- the hardest letter, too. Oh, oh that R is oh, a tricky B. But everybody knows her now yes. and they know her story. But she didn't let her impediment stop her. Another person is our president, you know, President Joe Biden, who, too, has a speech impediment, who has to work extremely hard on his speeches. Mm -hmm. And so it's that you don't necessarily outgrow, but you do overcome, you know, your you, you become confident. You don't let your impediment stop you. You don't let your, you know. It causes you low self-esteem and so forth. So I just want to say to parents out there, there's always those people that are successful. They have a story somewhere down the road when they first started. You know, Einstein, they they thought he was special ed. And so he was this immaculate genius. I could give you personal stories of even in my own family where my uncle Robert they tried to put him in special ed, but he's an aeronautical engineer, graduated from Caltech, putting things up in space yeah. and Mars and in space stations and communicating with the space station on a daily basis. So you don't let people tell you what your child can become. Right. Please don't do that. And you advocate for your child and you put people in their place because like Sharina said, that is your sugar at the end of the day. Do not let anybody melt your sugar. Yes. Yes, that's all That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so most importantly, for the world changers, because we've talked about it from like a bunch of different lenses, how do you personally advocate? When to go in the class and advocate and how to collaborate with the teacher during the process, how to deal with IEPs. But some world changers might be like, okay, that's all said, great and done. But where do I find one? Ooh, especially if I live in a rural area, where do I find an advocate? How do I get the support? This sounds magical. Help me. You know what? I'm going to tell you the first place to start. Well, I'm going to tell you one, two. Google. Google has every friend. (laughs) You will ever need to know about anything. Start there. And put in special ed or educational advocate. Yeah. Start there. Also, you can do your if your your state's education department. So if it's the California Department of Education, if it's the Texas Educational Agency, so you'll hear the TEA, the CDE. Um, you can start there. You can start at your regional centers. Yeah. You can start with your child's you know, whatever their area of need is, and I'm not going to say deficit or, you know, disability, whatever their area of need is, that's where you start. Autism speaks, you know, if it's a speech and language issue, if it's an orthopedic issue, if it's ADHD or, you know, attention deficit, you can start there. Social media, there is a support group out there for everyone, but you can start, just start. And then just start clicking on buttons. You know, you will hear people's story. You will hear, you know, even some reviews. Just start. And Google is your best friend. It really is. Google is a friend. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Final question, because I don't want to take up your whole day, because, you know, you and I will go around and around and around. And we'll have these people on here. This is going to be 2 a.m. and we're still talking. <laughs> part one, part two, part three. <laughs> the advocacy. Right, a 
series. We'll have a trilogy going on. <laughs> it's going to become a book. <laughs> Who is going to pay for these services? Who is going to pay? So again, that that's going to depend on the agency that you go with. That's, you know, if, if you can't afford something, start with, you know, this is my situation. Can you tell me about your um, agency? And then can you tell me about your fees? Some people, you know, will be on a sliding scale. Some people won't. But I'll tell you this, with LA Unified, if it's, Something where, you know, legal, they have to go legal, meaning that, you know, you have to debate, you have to go into court or something like that. And you win. Typically, the school district will pay for that. They'll pay for that portion of whatever, you know, you're requesting. But you will definitely have to talk to your agency, your organization, and they'll be willing to explain how they get paid and so forth. So it's different and it just depends. And of course, you know, if you're using, um, that's only if you're using professionals, but if you're just using yourself, then obviously you're not going to get paid. Or if you know people in your family that do this or have gone through the process, then they will also be a good resource. But again, if the district is going legal with you, I do, you know, you, you definitely need some representation. Agreed. Agreed. That was super helpful. Kimmy, thank you so much for your transparency, for taking the time out of your crazy busy schedule because she'd be busy, y'all. So y'all yes. clap it up for her and thank her for coming and just being a part and shedding light on a, such a hot topic, B, such a sensitive topic, and C, something that you world changers need to know inside and out, like the back of your hand. Remember, you only have one chance, one day at a time, to have your sugar during that time. And I want you guys to maximize that time, doing your best, exhausting yourself to make sure that they have everything that they need to be the best thing that they can be and for you to provide the best you that you can be for them and all everybody else who's who's rallying around them, right? So let's make sure that we're getting tooled up in that area. If you have any questions about this episode, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at questions at I've got this There's no such thing as a silly question, just an unanswered question. Also, you can follow me on social media. All the links are at the bottom of the page as usual. And if you feel like it, only if you feel like it, take the time to rate the show what you enjoy, what you love, what you don't love. Hey, look, I'm coming either way it goes, however you rate me, all right? So until the next time, world changers, take care.